as I said, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and jump to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Some of you are already there. And um, if you didn't catch last week, uh, the goal will be every single time we finish out uh, a message, I'll send out an email and I'll put the previous one attached to that. Uh, So if you miss a night and you need to catch it up or whatever it is, so you're able to kind of know where we're going. And uh, we've titled this uh, Ecclesiastes, The Endless Pursuit of More. And last week we spent some time talking about, in 1 Kings 3, this guy Solomon, who we believe wrote this letter, and really we talked about his life and how uh, we talked about how a great start does not equal a strong finish. And we talked about how God has really blessed the socks off of this guy, and he has given him more than he could have asked for. And while God had given him all of these things, he got to the end of his life, and even though he was blessed, uh, the things that God had given him, it did not lead him back to God. Rather, those things led him to find fulfillment joy and peace in the gifts of God, but not the giver of the gifts. And so last week we talked a lot about that, and tonight um, someone had said something before we started because we talked about contentment and how to get the most out of this study. Um, Really, I believe each and every night when you walk away from Ecclesiastes, you will probably be confronted with the reality um, that you need to have maybe a little bit more contentment in some area of your life. Ecclesiastes, as I said last week, if I had one week to live and they said, Mike, you get to preach one more time, the chapter I would pick is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, bar none. Why is that? Because this chapter, uh, whether you uh, got saved at a very young age, you got saved at Awana's or maybe, you know, before then and, you know, with your mom and dad or maybe you got saved recently and you've trusted Christ or you are here tonight and you've yet to make a decision for Jesus, I believe that this chapter is relatable across the board. It is relatable for you and for myself because there has probably been a time in your life, whether you've recognized it or not, where you have asked something or someone to be your God besides God himself. Whether it was a career, it was uh, financial things, it was a relationship, it was a marriage, it was family, it was even a good pursuit. But in the midst of that, what happened? It left you feeling empty. And Solomon, he is writing this letter. And as I, as I said before, he is the most, uh, most honest, vulnerable old man I have ever talked to. Because he is telling us his story behind what he did with his life, and at the end of his life, it's, it's him on his deathbed telling us, man, I did this, I did this, I did this, and he's giving us these warnings to hopefully learn and to listen to. I want to start off with this one statement on the top of your notes. He is teaching us the, the lesson that the top of one ladder is always the bottom of another. The top of one ladder is always the bottom of another. <clears throat> and what I mean by that and what I think Solomon is teaching us that as you climb or as you pursue uh, fame or maybe success or maybe for something to bring completion to you or uh, make you feel maybe a little bit more happy or maybe uh, give you a little bit more fulfillment, as you get to the top of that ladder, what happens? It's just the bottom of another. It's just another step here and it's another step there. Before I jump into chapter 2, I want to read you this quote. This is from Blaise Pascal. It's written a long time ago. Some of you will be familiar. Some of you will not. But here's what it says. God is or he is not 
but to which side shall we incline? Reason can decide nothing here. A game is being played where heads or tails will turn up. What will you wager? According to reason, you must wager. It is not optional. Which will you choose? You must, out of necessity, choose. If there is an infinite happy, happy life to gain, there is not a chance of loss against that again. There is no time to hesitate. You must give all. Wager then without hesitation. And the reason I read that quote is this guy, Blaise Pascal, is making this statement about wagering or testing God. Um, maybe you can think back to a time when you tested God, where you wanted to see if God was actually good. Maybe you remember your dad or your grandpa or someone talking about how God, you need to follow God, you need to commit your life to God, and what? You didn't really believe him. So what would you do? You would put it to the test. You have to experience it for yourself, and Solomon does that very thing. So my first point tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is this, what we all or what we have done and still do. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, I said in my heart, he doesn't say in my mind, he doesn't say, he says in my heart, I'm going to talk a lot about the heart tonight, come now, I will test you with pleasures, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also is vanity. So uh, he brings up the phrase vanity and, and, and he's going to bring it up constantly and how it's meaningless and it's vanity and it's, and it's empty pursuit and, uh, and, and, and every pursuit that you have in life, it's going to leave you just a little bit more empty than you want it to. And he says, I have tested with my heart. What do you know about the heart? It is deceitfully what? Wicked. It is beyond our imagination where our heart can lead us, where my feelings can lead me astray. And Solomon says, I have taken all that I have, all that God has given to me, every material gain, and we're going to read here in a second, and I have put it to the test with what? Pleasure. It says in Proverbs 26, 11, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. He says four times in this letter this phrase, I hated life. And if you're not careful, you can read this letter, and we talked a little bit last week too. If you're not careful, it can lead you to being a little bit depressed. You're like, man, it's just vanity. Why should I even go to work? Why should I even go to church? Why should I even pursue these good things that God has put before me? When, and, and when you pursue good things in life, and you do them without God, no matter how good the pursuit is, it always leaves you, what? Empty. In Solomon, this, this proverb here, he actually lived it out. Uh, other portions of the Bible would say he had over 700, what? Wives. I mean, just fathom that for a second. I mean, you got one, and, you're, and you don't know what to do. You just don't know what to do. Um, he had 300 concubines, which are pretty much uh, prostitutes who were there to fulfill his sexual desires. And I mean, I don't, I don't know, but like, that's, that's a lot. That, that is a lot. And what he did, some of you guys are like, you, you're waiting to see what I'm going to say. I can see it on your face. I can see it. Listen, you old guys, you're like stinking young kids, man. Anyway, um, here's, here's what happens. He takes the pleasures and he says, I'm going to give myself to all of these. 
I'm going to give myself up to pleasure because why? I want to see if it's going to give me what I need. It's going to fulfill me. He's going to take his riches. He's going to take his honor. He's going to take his wisdom. He's going to take everything that God has blessed him with, and he's going to say, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to put all my chips in, and I'm going to see if this can give me what I think it's going to give me. Because there's always that point in life, always, where someone will tell you something, and you have to ask yourself the question, will I listen or will I do it myself to see if it's actually true? Will I allow experience to teach me or will I allow an older, wiser individual to teach me? At at any point, there's always those lessons, whether it's in marriage, it's parenting, it's relationships, it's at work. You're going to have to say, am I just going to be a bonehead in every area, but maybe not this one area, I'm going to put it to the test. And Solomon, he, he, he did it. And the reason I said it's what we have done and we continue to do, if you're a lot like me, even unknowingly, my heart is so wicked, it will lead me down those paths in my head all the time. I know, that, I know that money won't bring me fulfillment. I know that. But it doesn't mean I don't like it. You guys are like, dude, you're a pastor. You're not allowed to say that. There's things that you'll know, or maybe fame, or, or maybe a little bit more recognition, a little bit more of this, maybe a little bit more of this, and you'll know that it's not true, but my heart is so wicked, it just leads me down those paths, and in my head I'll have to remind myself, no, 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 that's not true. And this is what is crazy about this book, and which is hard. You and I do not have the funds to do what Solomon did. I mean, we don't even have like a, a, like a 0.001% of the funds that Solomon would have. We, I mean, even if you feel like you had a good year, I mean, the, 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 you know, maybe for you this past you know, season of life, business was just booming. Like you feel like you had a little bit of coin and you feel like you made some money. We don't even have the funds to remotely touch what Solomon had. The amount of money is not even in comparison. The amount of fame is not in comparison to anyone we know today to what he had. And he put his heart to test. And let's see, let's see how he did it. In verse 2, this is what it says. And, and before I jump in, <clears throat> last week we talked about the word I. He said the word I eight times at the end of his life. He says the word I in chapter 2 31 times. And if you get to tell your testimony and your story and the only person you get to bring up is yourself, guess what? That's who you get. And it's a lonely place. And this is what he says. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart. There it is again. How to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold of folly. Till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And here's how he did it. This is crazy. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which water to the, to the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Think about this. I'm going to come back to verse 8. He has built, and some of you, you might be a gardener, and you're kind of like, you feel confident in your little garden. We got some tomatoes out there and some zucchini. This guy built parks. 
and not just parks, but water systems to, to funnel to the parks and forests and planted vineyards. And I mean, he is a smart individual and he's building these things. And notice how in every phrase that he says, I built for myself. I had great possessions. I had this, I did this. And this is what he says in verse eight. I also gathered for myself silver and gold in the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. He has enough money. Some of you, uh, you, you know, back when we could go to concerts, you would maybe save up some money, and once a year you'd go watch or, you know, see you 2 or whoever your favorite band would be, and you'd save up some money, and you would go watch them to what? To have a night out and to enjoy uh, the band. And for some of you, maybe Elvis Presley, you know, those were the guys that you would save up a lot of money to go see, and it was a big deal. Solomon has the kind of money where he doesn't pay to go see them, he pays for them to come perform for him. That's the kind of money he has. It's incredible. Verse, verse 9, he said, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. If you can remember in 1 Kings 3, what was the one thing he asked God for? Wisdom. And what did God do? He gave it to him. And what did he say? I'm going to give you more wisdom so that anyone before you and anyone after you will not compare. In his testimony letter and what he is saying, he's acknowledging God gave him the very thing he had asked. Even in that. <clears throat> in what, verse 10, and I'll, I'll finish here to 11. In whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, and, my, and for my heart found pleasure in all toil, and this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hand had done in the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun." So when, if you would read, and this is not in the Old Testament, but if you could read other books about historical facts of Solomon, um, the kind of parties this guy would throw. Like I said, he does not go to concerts. The concerts come to him. I mean, I'm trying to, I was trying to think of someone that you guys would relate to or know. Tim Hawkins is probably the comedian that you would know, but he has comedians come and perform for him. And the kind of parties he would throw are not just, uh, you know, backyard barbecues where it's, you know, just a cooler and he's got stuff, you know, and burgers. He's not throwing those kind of parties. He has parties of 15, 20, 25,000 individuals showing up to perform for him, to be there for him, and to celebrate his success. I mean, it is incredible. Yeah, you, I mean, if you would read about Solomon, it is out of this world. There is nothing that can compare with the people that would come and listen to him and watch him just to see him and to listen to his wisdom. So he takes all his money, he takes all of his fame, and he says, I'm going to ask it to be what I need, which is what? He is looking for satisfaction. He is looking for fulfillment. And in the endless pursuit of more, he gets to the end of his life, and the only person he gets to talk about is who? Himself. He gets to look in the mirror and say, look what we did. Look what we did. 
He gets to that point, and I, I, I'm, I'm talking about this as a place no one wants to be in point two in your notes. No one wants to get to the end of their life and end up here. When Solomon had taken over for his dad, David, and he had started out on a good start, I doubt if Solomon was here today and we got to ask him questions. Hey, man, what was your goal early on? Man, I just want to get to the end and really hate my life. I want to get to the end and be miserable. That sounds good. Sorrow, or increased knowledge increases sorrow. I want to get to the end and be super bitter at life and people around me. I want to get to the end and I want to be frustrated with people who did things against me and hurt me. Solomon would not make those claims. He would say, I don't know how it happened. It's probably a conversation here. It was a pursuit here. It was maybe more than I could handle. And as God had blessed him with what he didn't even ask for in that, he just got to a place that no one wants to be. And the kind of parties and things that, I mean, and God, as he had given him these um, pleasures in life, I think um, most of us could agree that God is the inventor of pleasure. Okay, if you read your Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, God is the one who invented sex. He is the one who invented the giver of marriage and relationships. But when we take those things and we ask that thing to be the fulfiller, it will leave me empty. And Solomon is saying, hey, you can try it, but I had a lot more than you, and I sought to do it, and it left me empty. And after party, after party he threw, and party he threw, and he got sick of waking up in the back of a pickup with a new tattoo going somewhere he had no idea where he was going, he finally said, and some of you guys are like, man, I remember those days. Uh, he finally said, man, something's got to give. Don't do what I did. It's a place no one wants to be. And I have to read this quote because it is so fitting. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but what? Too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, C.S. Lewis would said. We're too easily pleased. So when God would give us something, something that brings a, it makes us feel good in our heart, he's going to keep talking about the heart. Solomon, man, he used his heart to test. And as he brings up the heart, when God gives us something, we have to ask him, God, what is this for and what do you want from me? Even marriage, which is a good gift from God, can turn into an idol. Relationships are good gifts from God can turn into an idol. It's in Romans 1.25. It says this, they exchange, and I mean, tell me if this is not the most relevant chapter today in where, in where we live. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than what? The creator. When God gives these to us, we have to ask, what, what is this for and how does this bring me back to God? Number three, let's, let's keep rolling in uh, verse 12. And this is when wisdom is our God. And notice how many times he says heart here. Verse 12. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. 
Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. What is the same event? Death. Happy church. The same event. He said there's a wise person, there's a foolish person. Solomon said, I decided to be wise, but he got to the end and he said, hey, who cares, man? He said, I die. We both have eyes in our heads. We're the same individual. And guess what? At the end of the day, you, you get uh, painted up, you get thrown in a box, uh, we'll come and talk about you, hopefully. Uh, there'll be a little date that it started, there'll be a dash, there'll be an end date, uh, there'll be your name, maybe a phrase or a verse, and then you will go in the ground and hopefully someone brings flowers every once in a while. And Solomon said, this led him. Let's keep going here because uh, it, it just fits. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For, the, for, for of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Verse 17, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Wisdom. Um, what is wisdom and who is it for is the question. When God gives him this wisdom, and we could all talk about what wisdom is, it's fearing God, as uh, Psalm 110 would say. In Proverbs 8, when you fear God, it's hatred of evil. It's seeking to serve God with the wisdom. And maybe we could talk about application of life and how God give, gave him more wisdom than anyone else could compare. Now, when God gave him the wisdom... Who is it supposed to be for? It's supposed to be for God. It's supposed to be for other people. Some of, some of you remember the Queen of Sheba. They paid massive amounts of money just to come and listen to this guy. His podcast, his books, everything sold out right away. His YouTube channel was insane. His, his newscast that went out every night was just massive amounts of followers. People paid to hear this guy talk. And he got to the end and he says, whether you're wise or you're a fool, it doesn't matter because you die and I hated my life. Is all of that true? It's true if we do what Solomon did with wisdom. If God gives you wisdom, if God gives you experiences, and if God gives you things, we have to ask, who is it for? If it's a gift from God. And when I take a gift from God, whether it be finances, whether it be a relationship, whether it be wisdom itself, I gotta ask myself, God, who do you want me to, who do you want me to bless? Who do you want me to serve? So I don't get at the end of my life and I have to ask myself this question. Wisdom is meant to lead us to God, not further away. And he keeps bringing up the heart because this guy's heart is extremely empty. Just extremely empty. I imagine he can't have a conversation with someone talking about this kind of wisdom without tearing up. Maybe he remembers his dad, David, who was before him. 
And maybe he remembers conversations that he had with him and the instruction that his dad had given him and he didn't listen to. And when wisdom is our God, in the pursuit of it, it, it leaves us feeling and living, verse 17. It's just an empty place. So I hated life. What's the point at this time? Just for death. That's all he can think about is death. Let's keep going. For when work isn't for worship, verse 18. I hated all my toil, his work, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Uh-oh. I think this is going to, some of you are going to love this because you have felt this today. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart, there it is again, up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Here's why. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Let's talk for a second. Here's what Solomon just said. He said, I have worked my tail off. I am extremely smart. I am more well-read than anyone else. Um, I have built things. I have produced things. I have made a lot of money. And then, here's what he says. Somebody else is going to get the what? Credit. And he is frustrated. I mean, come on. Tell me that is not something that you have experienced, you have thought about, you have done the work, uh, maybe didn't get the recognition, and when you do the work, um, this is why I say when work isn't for worship, um, God created us to work. It is uh, his design, it's before the fall. Uh, you guys remember the heaven series that Craig did? You are going to work in heaven you're going to have a job. He created you for that. You are going to like what you do, and you're going to work hard for the Lord. But here on earth, when work is for us and for our acknowledgement and for our success, it leaves you living out verse 21. It leaves you living out that, man, somebody else comes after me. They got the plaque, and them little millennials, they didn't do anything. I did all the work, and they got the recognition. I did all the stuff, and they did this, and they did this. It's Colossians 3, 23, if you'd pull it up for me. Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When work is for ourselves, again, again, and this is, some of it's repetitive, and that's for a purpose, that's what you get. And at the end of the day, if you've asked work to be your God or the approval of someone in your field and you didn't get it, it left you kind of sad, left you frustrated. Let me finish verse 22 because he, he explains it. What has a man from all the toil in a striving of heart, there it is again, with which he toils beneath the sun, for all his days are full of sorrow, so he's depressed, and his work is vexation. He is annoyed 
he is frustrated. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Um, If the credit is our main concern in our work, at nighttime when you get home to be with your wife and kids, you're what? You're frustrated. You're all consumed. Someone, your wife will want to have a conversation, but you are frustrated with something that happened at work because what? You didn't get the credit. You want to talk about that. The kids, they want to talk about this. They want to go here. You're busy, but it is all-consuming. Even in the night, your heart cannot rest. You can't go to bed because your coworker who got the credit for the things that you accomplished, you want to fight him. You want, I mean, maybe not you. You're like, maybe me. I, I want to fight him. I want to have a conversation, I want to talk about it, and I want to know why he didn't give me the credit that I deserved or the boss. And it's, in Solomon, he, he lived this and he's experienced this. And, and when it's not for worship and it's all about me, it leaves me empty and it leaves me sorrowful. Let me finish here, verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to him, the one who pleases him, God gave him wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. Only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that they're, they're the phrase, and some of you have heard it, that we eat and we drink and we what? Be merry, for tomorrow we die. Yes, so what Solomon is saying, this is different. He is saying that if we take what God has given to us, that if we take the pleasures that God has given to us and we find the meaning, that is the very hand of God. He says, but the sinner, the one who has given to the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. So what he is giving the distinction here, and if if work or whatever task or toil God has given to us, as we work against and whatever it is, it needs to be for God. And if he blesses you, and if he gives you much success and much fame and whatever is before you, we're supposed to say, God, what is this for and who is this for? What do you want from this? Because I know it ain't me. Because what's it tell us in chapter 1, chapter 2, every week I'm going to bring this up because I love it. You are going to be forgotten. In a hundred years, guess who they will not talk about? Mike. They won't. They're not going to, I mean, and yeah, maybe if I have grandkids and grandkids, they might, I mean, shoot, they'll have an old picture that they can't find and they'll see it one day and they'll have the one story, it's wild, he did this, the wild man from Borneo, you know, they'll have all these crazy stories, but we will be forgotten. And if my life is but a vapor in a mist that appears and vanishes, I want to make sure that the short time that I have, that just goes so quick. And I'm 27, but I feel like the years, they just go so fast. And some of you are laughing at me right now, but they feel so fast. Whatever God has given to me, I want to make sure at the end of my life, at my funeral, they don't tell stories about what I accomplished. They're able to tell stories about what God did. That God would get the credit, that he would get the glory, that they're not going to remember me. 
and I can remember you. And in Solomon, as he brings up work, he brings up wisdom, he brings up pleasure and all these things, he says, make sure that the life that we're living, that God is at the center. He tested with his heart. He tested these things. I want to give this quick quote, and then I'm going to break you guys off. Um, Again, this is from my man, Blaise Pascal. I don't know why I'm on, on one with him tonight, but it's great. He says this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they use, they all tend to this end. Because of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire of both to be happy. This is the motive and action of every man, even those who, what, hang themselves. We all pursue happiness. And sometimes with pleasure in these things, it can give us a quick fulfillment of happiness. But the the goal is that it would bring us back to God, who is the ultimate giver of not just happiness, but joy. Giver of joy. And that we would find those things and give them right back to him and use them to serve him. I want you guys to break off into your groups, uh, into your tables, and go over these four questions. I'm going to give you a two-minute warning, and, and I know I'm on a timer because some of you guys, you got the Browns game updates and all those things, and I'm going to get you out in time. So uh, break off into your groups. I know I am definitely on uh, the timer, but uh, I did not. I screwed up, and so give me some grace. I did not introduce that last thought uh, tonight. I did last week, but as far as who is the loudest voice for you, and uh, we talked about it last week, and I, and I finished with it, but I wanted to introduce it, and I didn't, and then you guys were at your table, so hopefully uh, someone was able to help out. Uh, but in 1 Kings 12, when Rehoboam had taken over, Solomon's son, who took over for him, when he took over, he had the older men's advice, advice he had the younger guys' advice, and he listened to the younger guys, and it really set the tone for him and really screwed up his life uh, because uh, people who were just like him um, he, did, he, he sought their advice, and he did not seek godly counsel out of Solomon's advisors. And so I asked the question, or in your groups, hopefully you had time to talk about it, was who is the loudest voice for you? Uh, because all of us are tempted sometimes to where the loudest voice is not God's word. The loudest voice are my own thoughts, they are, some of you said my wife. Um, who is the loudest voice for you? you some of you need to, to think. Um, <laughs> it's happened, I know, it's already out there. Uh, the loudest voice, is it God's word? And if it is God's word, then our heart or our significance should really be found in him. And that last thing on your handout there is, when we are at the center of our lives, God can never be. When we are at the center of our lives, God can never be. And I want to kind of finish things out here tonight reading Psalm 73 and a portion of it because Solomon in chapter 2, he brings up himself. He brings up his heart about nine times. And I started off tonight talking about the heart in Jeremiah 17, 9, how the heart is wicked, the heart leads us. And when Jesus comes, what, is, what does he say about the heart he says, where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be. And, and, and if we want to know where our heart is, a lot of times we just need to see where we're, maybe Jesus would say, spending our money. He would say where we're spending our time, where we're putting our effort. And Jesus says that we are to love God with all of our heart. 
And I've been really thinking about this and really personally convicted about the heart because whatever has my heart, it has everything. It has all that I am, all that I want to be, all that I hope to be. And Psalm 73 is a psalm that is written where a guy is really crying out to God and complaining to God because God has blessed the wicked in our terms of blessing. People who don't follow God, man, they got a four-car garage, they got the vacation house. Man, look at his truck. How come he got that truck? He's got, the, the, you know, you, you, you do it. You compare and you watch. And Psalm 73 is a guy who's really saying, man, God, this guy did that. They, they did that. They did that. And really, you just, you just kept giving them more. Why would you do that, God? And I think it's, it's an awesome prayer. And I'm going to read this to you. In Psalm 73, it says this. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears, like a dream when one awakes. <laughs> oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Psalm 73, 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, just like a dad with his little boy. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to what? Glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Verse 26, we're going to end with tonight. My flesh is... And my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Sometimes I have to say, God, you don't have my heart today. Would you forgive me? If anyone has earned trust and done anything to deserve my portion, my pursuit, my heart, is it not our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ? Is it not him who, yet while we were yet sinners, died for us? In the hopes that while we did not love him, yet he has loved you. And while he hung on the cross for us to believe in him, to follow him, he was after your heart. Let me pray tonight. God, we thank you. For what you have done. God, we thank you that you give us the freedom to choose. And sometimes all of us in here, we learn different ways. And yet you are a gracious heavenly father and you allow that. God, I pray that as we have the choice to serve you with all of our heart, would you help us to do so? Would you forgive us for comparing with what you've given us? Would you forgive us for being bitter towards you or other people that have more stuff than us? God, would you help us to find our contentment and our joy in you? God, would we learn from Solomon? God, would we heed the instruction, as Paul told us, of these stories? Would we listen to these things written down for our instruction? And would you help us to be the men 
the husbands and the fathers you want us to be for your glory. And would you have 100% of my heart? Not 90%, not 60, would you have 100% of my heart? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.